I'm in $25 million worth of debt. That's a lot of debt, but it allows me to own real estate worth $46 million. So I would not have $21 million in equity. It's literally a part of the process if you do it the right way. You can create as much wealth as you want without using a dime of your own money. It almost seems too good to be true if you know what you're doing. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Sam, the man, Primp. What's up, buddy? How are you? What it do, what it be, what it is. Man, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. I already told Sam we're going to go do karate in the garage and become best friends. Because this Dude, is gonna- I'll bring the sword. You bring the watermelon. Perfect. Only if it's autographed by Randy Jackson. <laughs> so perfect. You know. You oh know. man, I'm excited to dive in, man. At face value, so you and I for the first time, we got introduced from a mutual friend, Soli, who's a friend of the pod, and she's been on here. And I'm speaking to her community here in a couple of days. She's an amazing entrepreneur, fan favorite of the pod, and now uh, she linked us up, man. And when you look at your media, you got 2.7 million followers across platforms. You're a guy that gets media. And your strategy, what you just mentioned something that was, I think, really important for people. And I think people would do it backwards. So we'll start here with the media, which is, I said, man, you get media. It, it, you really resonate with followers. And you said, yeah, I just document what I do. So talk a little bit about that, man, versus having to manufacture these concepts, these stories. You just talk about what you do. How are people doing this wrong? Describe this media strategy. It's revolutionary. What? Yeah, no, it is. It's you do and you talk about what you actually do. It, it's quite revolutionary. It actually is revolutionary, Brian, to be honest with you. There's social media I got on the perfect time in, in middle to 2020 when everybody was flexing on all the money that they had, all the cars that they had and all the cool stuff that they do that's not very relatable to people. At that time, I just was talking about what I was doing and, and explaining how I did it. And yeah, we do some really cool stuff, but the, the secret sauce is in the actual implementation that I do every day. So I, I talk about something that I do. I don't brag about how you shouldn't go out drinking in your 20s next to my Lamborghini because I've made it. Like I have that and it's natural. One of the, the few good qualities I have is that authenticity and relatability. I'm not going to talk about something I, I haven't done or try to give advice on something I don't know what I'm talking about. I know a ton of people. I've been on podcasts of people that have, that got 150,000 followers on YouTube subscribers before they bought their first property. Nobody really cares about the flash. They care about the story. They want to connect. They want to relate. So if you're willing to get over your ego and you're willing to just talk about what you do, whether good, bad, or indifferent, people are naturally going to gravitate towards you. You just have to be consistent with it is the most, the biggest thing that most people miss. Cool, man. I want to get into the actual real world stuff that you're doing first. There's going to be a lot of people that have questions about what platforms, how to grow. We'll come back to media in the back half of the interview. Speaking of media, your relationship with Dave Ramsey, you and Dave, fast buddies. What happened with Dave Ramsey and what was the result of it? What was the argument here? 
Oh, yeah. No, me and Dave are boys. No, I honestly don't have anything against Dave. I, I wish he would call me out on a show again. So for anybody that probably not that many people saw the episode, I don't think your audience is much of a, a Dave Ramsey listeners, I would guess the opposite. But in general, everybody knows who Dave Ramsey is, the no debt guy. And I'm like the debt guy to a much lesser uh, degree. But he called me a liar on his show. Somebody sent me the show episode where I had a video. I, I go viral. I think it got five or six million views about how I'm in $25 million worth of debt. And I was holding my daughter, talking about it and everything. I've done that concept several times. That's something else we can get into later about people try to recreate viral, just stay with the same concept over and over. Anyways, he called me a liar on his show and I did a response saying, I'm not a liar. I can show you my bank statements. I can show you my HUDs. I can show you the properties that I own, all the deeds. And of course I didn't get a response, but it was just a cool moment that somebody, Dave was punching down and he allowed me to punch up because his brand is a million times bigger than mine. He just, he's crutchety in his old ways of no debt, but I have figured out and learned from other people a way to properly leverage it. We talked a little bit earlier. I'm in $25 million worth of debt. That's a lot of debt, but it allows me to own real estate worth $46 million. If, if I wasn't in $25 million worth of debt, I would not own $46, $46 million in real estate, so I would not have $21 million in equity. It's literally a part of the process if you do it the right way. If you're scared of debt and you don't know how to leverage it, then yes, of course, maybe don't get into it. But if you understand the power of it and understand how to properly do it, you can create as much wealth as you want without using a dime of your own money. It's literally almost seems like it's too good to be true if you know what you're doing. Yeah. The most important statistic of people that are just doing the math, listening to that that podcast clip here, you're over 50% debt to equity. And that's super rare for somebody that's talking about debt. Normally you hear someone say, oh yeah, I use debt. Use debt up to your eyeballs. And normally they're like 80% debt with 20% equity. And you're like over 50%. So let's cover your real estate portfolio at large. Where do we sit today? Let's go into the debt conversation and then start dissecting this piece by piece. I love it. The last thing I'm going to say on Dave, then we're moving on, is I read a stat the other day, Brian. Dave is on his way to becoming the first billionaire with no debt. So there's been thousands and thousands of billionaires in this world, and one of them's done it with no debt. And Every single other one has done it with debt. So which path should you go down? The path of the one exception or the path that the, all the other wealthy people go down? But anyways, I digress. My portfolio is sitting right at about 46 million, probably slightly over. We try to be pretty conservative in our numbers. That's about 150-ish single family houses. That's six apartment complexes. That's a few self-storage facilities. We recently bought like a boutique resort hotel down in a, a little travel area down in Branson, Missouri. That's the majority of it. I've been able to buy all of that with Isaac any of my own money. And I like that I'm somewhat diversified within real estate, not like diversifying too much outside of that, but you got the different classes inside of real estate and everything is in Missouri. Everything but the resort is in the St. Louis metro areas. Everything hmm. I own is in my backyard. That's rare, especially when it comes to this, to have that many properties in that condensed of an area. That's pretty insane. Walk us through, you weren't always this way. We'll hit on this super quickly and then get into the meat and potatoes here. But I always think it's important to go over the origin story because you were a 50-hour-a-week corporate guy before all of this. A lot of the times, myself included, you start with, I save money, I buy a house. I save money, I buy another house. I save money, I buy house three, et cetera, and so forth. And you figure out a way to go about this and obviously scale it in a very fast trajectory. So walk us through briefly your corporate career and then your exodus from this. What was the spark that lit your real estate investing? 
It was pretty simple and ordinary. So I was having the day-to-day corporate grind of a job that I didn't honestly hate, but I didn't love. Uh, My buddy sent me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I read that and just started to understand the power of leverage and assets and real estate and cash flow and things like that. And I thought I read the stat that 90% of millionaires are created through real estate. So let's start investing in real estate. So me and a buddy on the side while we had full-time jobs in 2014, we bought our first rental property. And then 2015, we bought a few more and just started to get that itch and saw the potential in that. So we were doing it on the side 10, 15 hours a week. So a lot for having a full-time job. And it came 2017 timeframe into that year. And we're like, we've got 25 rentals. We probably flipped 10 houses. We've done five wholesales and that's all in 10 to 15 hours a week. What if we can spend 60 hours a week doing this? What will happen? What could happen? So that's what we did. We ended up taking the leap early 2018 and going full-time into real estate. I quit a job that was paying me comfortably $250,000 a year in St. Louis. It's a lot of money anywhere, but especially St. Louis. So it was it was definitely a risk. I was told by a lot of people, including my parents, I was making a mistake because yeah. it's a lot harder to replace a $250,000 job than a $50,000 job. So anyways, I went all in and then we just hit the ground running. And that's when the traction really started to happen when we could spend 60 focused hours and not 10 or 15 broken up hours. I want to hit on a very specific point that only a couple people will understand, but you'll understand it completely. The point where you leave your corporate job and you're used to being productive within the confines of this job. And then you say, man, if I had all my time back, I would crush it. Then there's this period of time between when that when you actually quit the job and then you're actually efficient as a business owner where it's just a lot of swinging and winging it so yeah he's nodding with approval right now walk me through that transition period because it took me probably a solid 4 to 5 months to really find my rhythm and cadence i'm curious about the journey for you and any advice that you would give to people making that transition because that's a pain point that a lot of people aren't familiar with yeah, you did it pretty quick, four or five months. I, I bet it took me longer than that. I remember the 2018, I made less. The, the following two years, 18 and 19, I made less than I did at my corporate job. Now I was gaining wealth and creating wealth and it wasn't substantial, but it was less. You know, I, we didn't have to like, you know, start to go on food rations, but I, I made less money, probably 10, 15% less money both of those years until things really started to unfold. But in general, the biggest reason why maybe I shouldn't be the one giving advice because it took me a while to get there. In general, the biggest things for me was un- understanding and giving away responsibility and not trying to do it all yourself. I feel like the first couple of years was like, I'm pulling out my hair. My business partner, Luke, is pulling out his hair. Let's hire somebody else so we don't have to pull out as much as our hair. And we're all three pulling out our hair. And then we hire the fourth person until we're all four pulling out our hair. It wasn't very strategic, right? It was just, we're too busy. Let's hire somebody to take a load off of us. I feel like once I started to get momentum and really started to streamline things was when we started to intentionally pre-plan our hires and pre-plan the people that we needed to bring in and be able to bring in the right person specifically for that role. That was a huge thing for me. And having a business mentor was huge. Somebody who owned a business that we actually partnered with for a little while, then went off our own again to just help me understand the importance of culture, the importance of autonomy, the importance of valuing your people, and the importance of having a culture that is uh, sustainable and people want to work for. I think it's really interesting that you came to this realization because how many investors do you know that are great investors, but not great business owners? Because they never think about this stuff. It's a lot of the guys and gals with 2000 units in the bio, but they have no life. They replaced a 40 hour a week thing for a hundred hour a week cage. Now they're spending even less time with their kids growing this rental portfolio. 
to, in order to spend time with their kids. They're like, I'm doing this for my family, which is preventing them from spending time with their family. So that's who we speak to. We speak to the person that's leaving their corporate job and the person that has left and has built that business and given advice to them as well to help systematize and operate it. You have one kid or multiple kids? Two. I know you have a daughter, correct? Yeah, I have two daughters. You have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. Cool. So when did this mentor come into the picture? Was this a couple of years after the fact? And then you were like, oh, thank God, I finally know what I'm doing here. Or were they along for the ride in the beginning? So they were along for a ride in the beginning. How it broke down was, like I mentioned earlier, my business partner, Lucas, and I were quitting our jobs or we were wanting to quit our jobs. And we had done 25 rentals and we're doing a handful of flips a year. This gentleman named Brian had a local company here in St. Louis that had been a little more established and they were a little bit bigger than us. So we decided to partner. We, came, we became third partners, but he had been in business for several years longer than we had. So he had gone through a lot of the issues and he helped us sidestep some landmines altogether. And we did that for a few years, but he was, he's in his you know late fifties, a little bit older, wanting to slow down. And we were just ramping up. The visions ended up going different direction, but that was not an issue. Very amicable separation at that point, but he was along from the very beginning. And part of the issue was just having three owners with three opinions. And it just made it a little more difficult. There was a blessing and a curse in that a little bit to a certain degree. I wouldn't have had it any other way, but he was there from the very beginning and just helped us understand, like I mentioned earlier, the, the importance of culture and people and autonomy and growing a company that uh, can grow beyond you. And you can take some time off and it can still operate. Perfect. So in the beginning, let's talk about your relationships with debt. So were you utilizing OPM? Were you doing the birth strategy to get these first 25? Or were you guys more so doing conventional and then realizing that there was a bottleneck? We did the Burr's method with all of it. So everything that I bought was none of my own money, all $46 million, zero of my own money. Because when I got started, I didn't have it. So I wasn't making that 250 green right when I got started. I was doing okay, but nothing like that. And we were not wanting to touch our personal money at all to do this. So we got a private lender and did the Burr's method and refinance on that very first property. And then we've done it 300 times since then with all other properties on single families, multis, apartment self-storage. You can do the burst method with any asset class that cash flows and you can add value to. It doesn't just have to be a house. So we were able to parlay that method of leverage and private lenders and small local banks into almost $50 million worth of real estate up to this point. Yeah. And when you're doing that, it's then it's a snowball effect where now you can take lines of credit, you can take home equity lines of credit, business lines of credit, and use that equity to be able to continue the ball down the field and down the hills. That's amazing, man. So it's funny whenever I post about the birth strategy or whenever I talk about the birth strategy, people don't get upset about the right part of it, which is weird. You'll see exactly what I'm saying in a second. The part that I feel like people should be upset about and like scared about is the rehab part. They're like, how do I find contractors? How do I make sure that this is on budget? How do I make sure this is on schedule? But nobody cares about that. Everyone's just like, where do I find these capital partners? How the hell do I do that? And for some reason, that seems to be the sticking point because I talked to hundreds and hundreds of people like you that are looking to do their first burr. And how many of these people have $50,000 plus saved up that they're still saving money looking to buy that condo on the MLS to be their first or second rental property right now? Let's walk through this just to put a pin in this. Walk us through. How do you find these, these capital partners? Do you just have a backyard full of rich friends that you randomly talk to? Yeah, for sure, man. I am connected. 
did. People, most people look in the wrong place, honestly. You're not going to find a, a basketball on the football field, right? You got to be looking in the right place. So most people, they don't understand what private lenders are. So they're looking in the wrong place. Most people think a private lender is somebody with $10 million in the bank, a rich person. They text everybody on their phone. They know they don't have $10 million and they give up. They're looking in the wrong place. That's, that is the exception. That is the 0.001% of private lenders are the people with $10 million in the bank. Private lenders are normal, everyday corporate employees in their late 40s, early 50s. They have a self-directed IRA that they can pull 50 grand from. They have a money market account that they can pull 75 grand. Shit, they have a home equity line of credit because they're in their 50s and they lived in the same house and raised the kids and they have a ton of equity in their house. They have some extra money of 401k that they can borrow against. So they're just normal people that have some equity somewhere that they're willing to pull 50, 75, 150 grand from. Not somebody that you're trying to take every ounce of their savings account. Not somebody with seven figures in the bank. It's normal people. You just start to, you just need to cultivate relationships with these people. You need to explain the process. You need to let them know that you're going to put your butt on the line. You're going to personally guarantee it. It's going to be backed by real estate. They could put a lien on the damn thing if they want to tell you pay them back. First position. It's a, yeah, it's a double digit guaranteed return. It's an incredible investment for them. Most people go with their hat in their hand to the wrong people. You need to be confident and you're doing them a favor by giving them a double digit guaranteed return on an asset that's real estate. So you just have to approach the right people. It's your grandparents' neighbor. It's your parents' boss. It's somebody at your work. It's a, it's your second cousin you meet at your family reunion. It's going out drinking with your buddies, golfing. And they're like, yeah, my, my, my dad's buddy actually, you know, is looking to invest in his portfolio a little bit and get into real estate. Like it's those conversations that ultimately lead to private lenders, not texting everybody on your phone asking if they could give you a hundred grand. That won't work. So that's the most re- the reason people get frustrated with it. I think because they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask the same question to you that I've been asking everyone else and I'm compiling all the results because I already know where it's going to go. But what comes first, the lender or the deal? Yes. <laughs> D, all of the above. No, yeah. I would probably say the deal. It does. So the thing is, I always tell people you don't have to, you need to niche down a little bit, but you don't have to like just focus on one thing. You can find deals and find money at the same time. It's not like it's a 40 hour week job. So if you found the deal and you haven't found the money, wholesale the damn thing, make five, 10, 15, 20 grand. If you got the money, don't got the deal yet. You're going to be super, super powerful because you're going to be able to give non-contingent cash offers. You're going to win the deal over somebody that has all these contingencies. So find distressed properties and then figure it out after that would be my advice. And I've given the other advice where I said, find the money first so you can be more dangerous, but you'll be more efficient when you find the money, but do both. Spend five hours a week trying to find a deal and spend five hours a week trying to raise money. Uh, I think that's a very doable, practical thing that people can do today, like in their job. I have uh, a buddy, Jaron, who you may have met him on Instagram too, Finance Cowboy. He came on the podcast as well, and he's getting leads off of Zillow left and right because they're, they're submitting to properties that have been sitting on the MLS. No one's getting them. So they're submitting below market offers and they're just racking it up. That's just directly off the MLS. So for some reason, people aren't sending offers. Why is this? I feel like 
And we're talking about creating wealth here. We're not talking about creating widgets. This isn't easy. You probably hear the same thing. I get told that I make it sound easy. And no, mm-hmm. I, I make it sound simple. There's a difference. Simple and easy are different. This is going to be the hardest thing you'll ever do, but you're creating massive wealth and generational impact and financial freedom. This is the thing to try to create wealth and create a better life for yourself. I think most people, they give up, don't put offers in, or they don't try, or they pull up just because they think it's going to be easy and they don't have that delayed gratification skill developed yet. And they want it all now. They want it all now. They think it's going to be easy because somebody, because this Brian guy on this podcast makes it sound super easy and his cool hat and his cool background, he makes it sound easy. No, you make it sound simple and explain it well, because it's not a complicated concept. You just have to be willing to separate simple and easy. That's just hard for people to do. This is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. The way that I've broken it down when, when I, whenever we're teaching it, it's called the hunt method, hunting for new leads, underwriting deals, networking and building your team. It's like you're networking for capital partners. You're building your team of property managers, realtors, construction, your GCs, your subs. And then you're just doing like deal analysis. You're sending offers and you're underwriting properties. <laughs> it is simple. It's not easy, right? Correct. As with most things that are worthwhile. So I enjoy talking to all of you guys that are doing this at scale because everyone kind of has different flavors of the exact same answer where it's just here's out of if you're doing self-storage, multifamily, anything, here's like the three actions you need to be taking. You need to be hunting for leads. You need to be learning how to underwrite these leads and submit offers. And you need to be building team and networking with capital partners. That it's simple, man. It, it, it is surprisingly simple, but it, it really is. Mm-hmm. What was your first big pivot point between buying a couple of these single families and doing the bird process to like really swing it for the fences? What was your first deal or your first acquisition or your first moment where you feel like you went from beginner to intermediate and then from an intermediate investor to an advanced investor? Yeah. So the intermediate to or the beginner to intermediate was probably... I remember in, so right after we quit our jobs, actually, 2018, we uh, bought a 27 pack of houses. So 27 houses all in one deal, one landlord owned them. They were in this couple zip codes, so pretty close, but not like all together. I remember like figuring that out, like underwriting it, making offers, negotiating. I think it was originally asking like two, three, and we, I negotiated and he was asking one nine at the time, whatever. Went back and forth and got the deal negotiated. We went to a local hard money lender and they financed the entire purchase. We used the rent because they were occupied to pay back the hard money lender for three months to season it. Then we went to a small local bank. They appraised it for 30% more than we bought it for. And we paid the hard money lender back a lot of money plus interest. And then we owned them and we didn't use any of our own money. So I remember, wow, I can't believe we pulled this off. I remember talking to Lucas, like if we pull this off, if we can buy 27 houses at one time without using any of our own money, that's something to be cool about and celebrate. So that was the beginner to intermediate moment for me. And then what was your intermediate to advance? Because I think you qualify as advanced now, man. Yeah, I would say COVID 2020. So 2020 COVID hit. Everybody was freaking out. Nobody right away, nobody knew it was going to happen, how deep it was going to go. The world was shutting down. We were experiencing something new every day. And a lot of people, a lot of smart people, good business owner, good people, they freaked out. They cut their staff. They fired people. They cut their marketing in half. And I remember we're like, let's just play this out. And I feel like work can be immature knuckleheads sometimes, right? We're not like perfect by any means, but that was a mature moment for us to continue to stick with it and push through and the following 18 months, 
we bought $25 million worth of real estate without using a dime of our own money because we were in it. We were focused. We didn't cut back. We drove it home and that real estate went up in value like crazy. We were able to pull out millions with an S dollars worth of equity, pull it out in tax-free cash. And we still have that equity you talked about earlier, that that 25 to 46, we still have that with pulling out equity. I think just um, treating this like an organization, a corporation, and not just a small business or not just a side hustle. That's when it was like, we're doing something that a lot of really smart people aren't. We're in it when a lot of really part, smart people are scared. We're scaling and growing when a lot of smart people are not. And looking back, it was like everybody's, I wish I would have started buying real estate in 2020. We did. So I think that was that advanced moment for me. There's this quote, I don't remember who said it. I think it was Vern Harnish. The biggest mistake small businesses make is by acting like a small business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's just, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So real quick, what goes into your decision making when you're choosing between a private money lender and a hard money lender? What situation warrants a hard money as opposed to private? Private money all day when we can. It's just we don't have unlimited private lenders. I haven't gone like the syndication, raising money via social media route. I probably could if we start a fund. We may one day, but everything is all, you know, 100% uh, uh, us owned. Private lenders are the name of the game. I, we have eight or 10 um, stable ones that we go to constantly, and occasionally um, something will happen where we, their money's you know, not being used or their money's being used somewhere else or we're using it and we have to go hard money. I would say 95% of what we bought has been maybe 90% has been private money and 10% is hard money. Hard money is great. It's just more expensive. There's more rules, more regulations, not as flexible, construction dispersing, a pain. Private money, like literally they'll write you a check and then they'll say, all right, let me know when my check's ready to clear with the interest added on top of it in four months. Like it's that easy. You can do whatever you want. Private money is definitely the one to shoot for, but not everybody has a stable of those because it takes time to build that. You can call a hard money lender tomorrow and start the approval process. They're businesses that want to be found. So I always tell my my people go find private money hard all day, every day. And if you need money before, then obviously start to contact some hard money lenders and start to get approved. Yeah. And I want to emphasize that you just bought 40, $45 million worth of real estate with eight to 10 private money lenders. Yeah. Like, good point. Eight to 10 people completely bankrolled this entire thing with zero dollars out of your own pocket. These were all debt partnerships, right? This is all like just completely debt, no equity partnerships. I'm sure you started going into equity further on, correct? With the larger deals or no? No. So that's a great point you made. In general, we found probably four or five and people with money hang around with other people with money. They're not like multi-millionaires. Some of them probably are, but- um, Doctors, lawyers- they tell their friends, insurance agents, one of them, a small business owner, another a corporate manager somewhere like they're not people with like millions, but they give you money. They get it back. They give you more. They get it back. And then they tell their friends. Then you get like their friends involved. So anyways, that's part of it. You don't have to find 10. I guarantee. I don't guarantee. I hate people to speak in absolutes, Brian, but I, bet you. <laughs> I, I, I am very confident that if you find five private money lenders, that like you found yourself, it will turn into 10 very quickly with word of mouth. Aside from that, everything has been a debt partner. A couple of the apartment complexes, not all of them, two of them, we brought on, we, we gave up some equity in the apartment complex until we pay them back. We used, for simple math, these aren't the numbers, but for simple math, $200,000 from a private money lender for the down payment on a million dollar apartment complex. 
Bank does 800, private lender does 200,000. And then we give them 10% ownership of the property until we pay them back their 200 plus interest. And we raise rents and get efficient, increase the value of the building. Then we refinance again and we pay them back via the equity they've created. We're their zero equity partners or debt partners. At that point, they're paid off. We get creative with private lenders and the BRRRRS method. And we brought in some equity for a little bit, but in general, it's all debt and they're fine with just getting that preferred interest. Perfect. And in the beginning, this may be more applicable now than it was back in the lower interest rate environments. A question I had with the Burr process is it's not necessarily the best for cash flow, great for equity, but that was going to be a question. It may have been better with cash flow back when you were doing it, but how did you solve like the liquidity crisis, like with you leaving that job and you needed to replace that income with the cash flow? Were you able to do that simply through doing these burrs or did you do any flips or wholesales to like replenish the cash to keep afloat? Does that yeah, make sense? No, we, yeah, no, it makes a thousand. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So in general, cash flow, if you do how I did it, you're not going to, you can't have your cake and eat it too and have icing and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and ice cream and candles and sprinkles on top. You have to sacrifice somewhere. Scaling like I did, cash flow is not going to be there. Two, yeah. 300 bucks a door max when cash flow is good. Now 50, 75 bucks a door cash flow max because of interest rates. So it's just, that's not why I'm there. I'm in there for the equity gain, the depreciation. I keep saying this, I, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I paid $0 in taxes in 2022. Didn't even do cost seg, just did their normal depreciation because we bought so much. That's why I do it, not the cash flow aspect of it. I still haven't never taken a dime of cash flow from my rental portfolio. We make like probably 50 to 60 grand a month net, net, net after everything from our rentals, which is cool, but it's not really that much for $46 million in real estate. But I didn't use any of my own money to buy it. I get appreciation. I get debt pay down. I get all the things besides cash flow. When I started, no, I tried to quit my job and replace my income with cash flow from rentals. That's an uphill battle with ice and wind in your face. That's not going to happen. I quickly realized that and I, I tell all my students that you need active income. Go find those distressed properties. Like I said earlier, you don't have the money yet, find them in wholesale. That's what we did. Part of that partnership that I mentioned earlier when I quit my job was he had a pretty established flipping company. They were probably doing a hundred flips a, a year, like wholesales and flips, not just flips. So that was Mac income as we scale that company. That's the company that he no longer owns, just Lucas and I own. And that's the one that does 300 houses a year. So my active income comes from my flipping and wholesaling, my education products. Then my long-term wealth comes from real estate and all the beautiful things that comes along with owning assets long-term. Dude, this is exactly what I thought. I'm so glad we're at this part of the show because it's so important and people don't think, unless you're doing it, you don't think to ask that kind of question, right? Because people are like, oh yeah, real estate cash flow. Yeah, I get all this stuff. Well, I saw exactly what you were doing and I was doing the math. He went through two to four years of like almost zero cash flow doing that. So that means in the background, he's for sure doing a wholesale or flip operation on the side. And I bet he was subsidizing like online education in between because dude, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I just sold all the real estate that I had currently because I'm going to start putting it into larger deals. But as I'm building up the cash flow through my business, I can deploy the cash flow from a cash flow machine into the assets that I can just build equity and I don't have to care about the cash flow at all. You got to diversify that a little bit. What you've done, it's because I didn't start education until 2020. Mm-hmm. The real estate was doing good at that point. But for the first year, two years of education, I made no money and the flipping and, and wholesaling was doing good. Mm-hmm. Our flipping and wholesaling company in 2023 got kicked square in the nuts. We had a very subpar year, but education, (laughs) the last half of 2022 and 23 is just blowing even what flipping was doing out of the water. It's much obviously more scalable. We flip and wholesale in St. Louis and I sell my community 
I have students in all 50 states, 200 in California and 150 in Texas. It's much more scalable. Just having that, and I honestly haven't even all hit. I have so much growth to do as a business owner and as a person, but I haven't had all three hit. Cash flow from rentals, great. Flipping, wholesaling, great. Education, great. They have yet to all three really bang. Maybe they never will. That's okay. As long as one or two of them is, but that's the beauty of having those multiple streams. And I am focused. They are all real estate related, right? I'm not like trying to do all this crazy stuff on the side, but it's just one of those things where you're doing the same thing is they're not, you're not always going to always bang or hit. I don't know why I keep using that word, but anyways, you're not always going to. This man's banging and hitting. This man's banging banging and hitting left and right. Y'all better, y'all better bang that five star review for Action Academy, baby. Bang <laughs> that, that five star review. Like Grant <laughs> Stefan had that smash that like button. You should be banging smash anyway, the like button. Yeah, bang that five star review. So, anyways, yeah, you're anyways just to be, to give you extra kudos is that's <laughs> be able to diversify just a little bit has been paramount. My company's doing horrible, not horrible. It's not very profitable right now, but sure. I'm not super stressed about it. And we're not laying people off that are good people, even though we're not profitable. We're making the paychecks. We're scratched out a little bit of money here and there. But if I wasn't, I can't, I could not survive on what that company was making this year. I'd have to insert myself. I don't do anything with that company now. Zero. I don't do anything with the other company either. All I'm focused on education, but I'd be stressing if that was my only income, we'd have to make wholesale changes, but we have other sources and we're able to extend these tides and we're going to come out of it bigger, better, faster, stronger. And we're going to be way ahead of people I know that laid off half their staff at the beginning of the year because a lot mm-hmm. of people in the flipping space were hurt. So we didn't lay off anybody because of the market. But anyways, we're positioned very well. Dude, that's completely honest, right? That's completely honest. My day job right now is helping people quit jobs. <laughs> so I'm employed by Brian Lubin. That's how I view it. I, Brian Lubin, work for Brian Lubin. And everyone's trying to crack this giant code of how do I replace the six figures worth of cash flow? And every single person has come to the same conclusion where it's just, okay, we need to build an active cash vehicle along with a passive wealth building and equity building strategy. It's like the tortoise and the hare, but you've got both of them on a leash as a pet, <laughs> right? So, yeah, exactly. So, Here's a really, yeah, here's one that you'll really like. And is, this is going to be a doozy of one. And you're going to say it depends. And there's a couple different questions. I'm to nervous it. now, Brian. Uh, no, you're not nervous. You'll be fine. So people may hear this and they're like, okay, so Sam and Brian, that makes sense. I need to start. I need to build a personal brand. I need to build an education business. I need to build a flipping and wholesaling company while I'm also pursuing self storage and that, all this stuff. And that person's going to get super. Burnout. It's very difficult to build these businesses and especially like simultaneously. So, how did you go and what order did you go about building each one of these and getting them stabilized before moving on to the next thing? That's my assumption that you did one at a time. Can you share some light about like your start, your journey here, your struggles, any way you would have done it differently? Because that's it all ties back into leverage and what you are trying to do. For sure. Yeah. Leverage, like we talked before we hopped on here, leverage is the the number one skill that changed my life. And every successful person I know is mastering it or has mastered leverage. It's the name of the game. But anyways, in general, yeah, we kind of spaced it out a little bit. So the big thing for me was having a business partner that was the yin to my yang. So Lucas, we'd been friends since middle school. I went to high school together, played sports together, college together gotten bar fights together, fought each other, all the things, right? So we just have that deep connection and, and we went into business together. And a lot of people say, don't go into business with friends and family. Unless you get into a bar fight first. Yeah, then you exactly. We got uh, five bar fights in two years, which is so many. Like we're not- like, and that was last Tuesday. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, not, we're not like tough or cool, but that's a lot of actually physical fights. I got punched in the face five separate times. Um, that's, that's not fun. And my, it hurts to punch people. Like my, it's not like punching a pillow. It's like punching a wall. But anyways, so we were dumb idiots. So that's another takeaway. If you're a dumb idiot, you can be successful too. In general, so I think having the whole reason to say that was having him there and having he's like the engineer, the op- operations finance. I'm like the, I brought in all our private lenders, negotiated with them. I don't have, I don't really, I haven't been inside my last 40 single family rentals. But if we're buying a package, we bought a house, we bought a package of 42 single family rentals. I came in and helped negotiate that. When we buy apartments, I come in. So I just step in where I'm needed and that allows those companies to grow without me. And Lucas is focused on certain things and I'm focused on other things. There for a while, right when we quit our jobs, we're like, yay, we're like legitimately being BFFs and we're holding hands and we're going to lunch every day and we're looking at houses together every day. And holy crap, that was inefficient. As soon as we decided to divide and conquer, like I don't even go to our accounting meeting. I couldn't, I, I see the reports of our Monday meetings of how much money we have in all of our accounts, but I don't even go to those meetings. So I haven't been to a property management meeting in 18 months. Like I literally mm-hmm. do nothing with that except a quarterly retreat to get an update. So we have all that system and processes, which helped a ton, but dividing and conquering and bringing in the right people. And then I'll tie your question. I feel like I'm a little bit of a tangent here. I'll tie it all together. But of our 48 uh, team members, like 15 or 16 of them are people we know. And we've known before, like uh, people work for me. I've been friends since I was four years old. Luke's brother-in-law is probably our most ta- one of our most talented, if not our most talented team member. He runs our flipping company. So we brought in super talented people that we knew. And we're like, we're doing some cool stuff. We're going some cool places. Should we bring those we care about and love most with us? Or should we try to keep it separate? And we decided to bring them with us. We started to do that. And then at that like 2018, 19 point, we decided to divide and conquer. Lucas focus here and I'll focus here. And that's where we really started to gain and grow. And now we're sitting at a pretty cool spot since about 2021, where our flipping company, Matt runs that. He's a COO. Everybody reports to him. He reports to Lucas. Our education company, a different Matt, not the same one, runs that. He's a COO. Everybody reports to him. He reports to me. And then our our, um, our rental portfolio property management company that manages your own properties, Richard runs that. He reports to Lucas. Lucas runs all that. And then I focus most of my time on education. So the fact that we're able to divide and conquer and have the right people in place and give that autonomy to those people makes us able to grow and scale and have have multiple companies trying to bang at the same time. Bang, smash. <laughs> Bar fight. No, man, that's awesome. So it's like rocket fuel, EOS, traction. It's just yeah, like, do you use traction? Oh, yeah, I use traction, brother. Yeah, I okay. use traction. So just so you, we need to connect after this and not to t- tangent. Told this, you. We're, we're, we're creating an operation operating system built on traction. Luke's and I are right now. We're going to roll it out Q1 2024. We're faster house, faster freedom. So we're calling it faster OS. We're taking a lot of what uh, traction has, a lot of what like the one thing by Gary Keller has. And we're, cause we have. Traction is not made for companies, multiple companies with inside one company. So level tens for not doesn't correct, but not for the holding company. Yeah, we're creating a we're creating a operating system for businesses that have like flipping, like that have multiple chains. So anyways. So it's going to be like the cadence of everything and the leaders have to have check-ins with their spouses or significant others for 10 minutes a week. And we do book clubs where we read a book and discuss. So anyways, it's pretty cool. I'll get you a copy of it once we get it done. See if you think it have any interest in running through that because I think it's going to be pretty cool. Dude, hell yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And so that just goes to show. So you were what we call like the visionary in that and that he was the operator. So you were like, I'm going to be the capital raiser. I'm going to be like the voice. I'm going to make the media. I'm going to go out. 
I'm going to do all the stuff. And then I've got this guy that's going to be in the background. He's doing all the operations. This is where he loves. He doesn't want to be talking to everyone. He just wants to be with the spreadsheets and really logistically sound. That's freaking the spreadsheets. Bang. So as I'm hearing this, and I've had probably over a thousand conversations on this up to this point now, I think I've got the formula, man. I think I've got the formula for somebody step-by-step to leave a six-figure job. Run it by you. I think I've got it. I think I just figured it out. Is that okay? Yeah, duh, dude. So if if we pull this off, though, this will be the Brian and Sam framework that was created today. It'll be the November 14th framework. So if I was starting from scratch, and I want you to poke holes in this and say anything differently that you would do based off of this conversation... If I were starting from scratch, I'm making six figures in a job right now, and I don't have any real estate. I'm starting from absolutely zero knowledge, zero nothing. First thing that I would be doing in today's high interest rate environment would probably be figuring out how to do a fast cash generation real estate business, so probably wholesale. I would learn how to skill set. Number one in real estate is learning how to find and analyze off-market deals. That would be thing number one, so I could wholesale these properties because flipping is rough right now. Then build up like an active income generation vehicle so that you can begin to leave. Once that is built up, I would document it through content along the journey while I'm learning about wholesaling. I would say, I'm learning to do this thing. Here's the content on how I'm learning to do this. Here's a mistake. I just jacked up this house. Here's how I did it. I, this one was a home run. Here's how I did it. Build up a content machine while I'm growing that as the enthusiastic beginner, not the veteran. As you finish that, you become successful and get about six figures in your wholesale operation. Then you're like, okay, cool. I can start hiring this out and building a team around it. As you do that, you build content around that, continue building your brand. Now you can start taking some of that money and investing it into these buy and hold rentals, doing the OPM, doing the private money burst strategies. Now you've got content, you've got fast cash, and you've got that built out. Ready? What do you think? I think that's a lot of Swiss cheese, a lot of holes. No, I'm just kidding. No, in general, cancel. I, I cancel. No, in general, I really like it. I think uh, I'm not going to do a depends thing because I, I hate that. I think there's a million do, ways to do it. Million ways. No, but that's a great way. The, my only take back would be assuming that they do want to quit that job because the sooner you buy rentals, the sooner you create wealth. If you have a job that you don't hate, that provides you income. You're more bankable. A bank would much rather see a hundred thousand dollar W2 job than two hundred thousand dollars made through your first year of a of a W2 Correct. like your own boss. So assuming you want to quit your job, I love that plan. My only caveat would be don't rush to quit your job, people. If you like it, okay. It provides you flexibility. You can do what you said, but you can throw in rentals too, because every single rental property that you buy, Brian, is going to double in value in 15 years. Every single Correct. one. I've done the math from 1950 to 2023. If you bought a house in 1955, it was at least doubled by 1970. If you bought a house in 1976, it was at least doubled in 91, even through 08. You buy a house, it's going to double in value in 15 years. It's showed itself through history. So maybe things are going to change, but I doubt it. If anything, it's going to get even worse and go even higher. So that's my big thing is maybe sprinkle in a couple of rentals along the way if you start to produce income, just because that you need time. The only way to create wealth is to have equity and assets. You just have to either let time create that equity or let volume create that equity by doing multiple of them, right? So uh, that only the only little Sam asterisk would put is if you like your job, I think it's smarter to work at your job another year or two and stack five rentals during that time while you're doing everything, then quit your job and wait to stack those rentals. Assuming you don't hate your job because I didn't hate my job and it provided me flexibility and it made banks say, yeah, we'll do that loan uh, very easily because I had that income. 
Correct. So the one caveat I would add to that is while you're still working your job. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So there you go. The question that I'm trying to answer, and I'm trying to answer them in like my business as well. The three things that you really need, like the three legs to the store that you really need is you need a long-term equity building vehicle, which will be your cash flow and real estate, your multifamily, your self-storage, mobile home parks, whatever you choose to do. You need your long-term vehicle. You need your fast cash flow vehicle because the self, like that's just not going to give you enough money to leave your job and you need content. And it's just difficult to build all of that simultaneously. <laughs> Everyone's going to freak out doing it. They're either going all in on the flips or all in on the wholesales or all in on the content, which we see people going all in on the content doing nothing else. I don't know, man. It's an interesting thought experiment because how do you prevent shiny object syndrome and how do you prevent three separate businesses being built that are all really crappy? (laughs) Yes. That's tough. Yeah. So a specialized focus for sure, I think is key. And the answer, I have the answer, Brian. Give it, dude. Yeah. Don't hold us captive. I think I have the answer and it's one that not everybody's going to love. The answer is, in my opinion, Ryan, if you're okay with controversy here, the answer is you pay somebody who's already done it. I like you can like you get over your ego, get over your pride, get over thinking you can do it on your own. You're not that freaking cool. I promise. I'm not. Brian might be, but I'm not. You have to get over your ego and you have to pay people. That is how it works. So if you want to create three successful businesses at the same time, you can. I promise it's going to be really difficult and hard. But if you pay somebody that's already done that and they can show you the grooved efficient path, they can help you use your limited spare time wisely so that you're not like inefficiently using it and getting frustrated and quitting. So if you have an extra 10 hours a week, hire somebody that's going to help use that 10 hours to the max and you're going to get there 10 times faster with less mistakes, less headaches. Like you're going to pay for the education. You're either going to pay for it by screwing up or you're going to pay for it by listening to somebody else's screw ups. That is the secret hack to all of this is paying somebody and following their grooved path. Every successful person, I pay a hundred grand a year to be in masterminds and coaching programs. Every single successful investor I know, every single one without exception, like there's not one exception to this has two things in common. One, they wish they started earlier. And two, they pay for a life coach, a mastermind, a mentorship. They pay for somebody else to give them the grooved path. And that's just the efficient way to leverage like we talked about earlier, other people's knowledge and get there much faster with much less headache. I had two conversations with with billionaires last year in person. I would never have had that converse, those conversations if I didn't pay to be in those rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you get up to that level, they still have coaches. They just look different. Oh, yeah. Those guys and girls have spirituality coaches, marriage coaches. Like They got six-figure marriage coaches. They got people that are like family therapists coming in to help with their kids. As people are always continuing to grow, because once you realize the ROI once on coaches and mentorship and mastermind and community, then it's, it's over because it's just folding time is what I call it. So it's, you're taking someone's 10 years and you're condensing it into 10 months. So I'm addicted to it too. We're over here. We're at 137,000 this year because I just got off the phone call with my CPA. So yeah, right there in the same boat, man. I've got a business coach, mindset coach. We've got uh, a couple masterminds that we're in through for different reasons. Some are more real estate related. Some are more business online related. Uh, paying $20,000 to this guy to teach me YouTube ads and their company to handhold me through that entire process. So yeah, right there with you. So in closing, to be conscious of time here, 
let's finish this up how you should do your content, right? Because you are able to grow a really robust, and we don't need to get into the revenue numbers. Knowing what I know, it's substantial based off of 1,500 students. You were able to grow this in a really great way. If you were to talk to somebody that's beginning investing, they're beginning the whole online brand, personal brand thing, what's some advice that you would give to that person? You have to make a commitment. So many people do this, and this is the biggest mistake I see people make. They start it, they don't see the results right away, and they hire it out right away. They hire somebody else mm. out to tell their to tell their story. I've tried that with a book. I hired somebody to ghostwrite this book. We spent 12 months together and it came out like crap. So I just ended up writing it myself. Nobody can tell my story the way that I can. And nobody can tell your online branding story the way you can. So if you really want to be successful, in my opinion, if you want to follow the same way, which isn't the right way for everybody, it is for some people though, you got to dig in. You don't have to do what I did going on three years now, but for about two of those years, I did everything myself all on my phone. I recorded it. I edited it. I had videos that got eight views, 30 views, 10 views, but I continued to do it because I had these other businesses that were making me money while I was making no money growing a brand because I believed in the concept of a brand. I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I didn't sell anything. It's another mistake I see a lot of people make, but by their fourth post, they're already saying DM me for my free training. You got to get people's trust first. I didn't even have a product to sell for the first year. I was just putting out content because I had the bigger picture in mind. In general, and then I'll get a little strategic if you're cool with that. In general, it's knowing that it's going to take some time and being willing. If you don't have, honestly, if you don't have five hours a week to devote to thinking of content, posting, commenting a little bit, answering DMs, I wouldn't do it. I think you should have 10, but I'm trying to be nice five hours a week. I wouldn't do it. You can hire it out and you can have cool looking content that nobody's going to connect to. And that's fine. If that's what you want, you'll look okay. That's not a horrible way. Honestly, I'm not trying to demean that, but if you really want to grow it and get that no one trust, like I have 2.7 million followers on social media. I didn't get any training in it. I just did it. I am a kind of a psychopath and a lunatic and I watched it and I looked and I posted and I saw it worked and I didn't work and I did it all myself and my thumbs are still sort of this day for how much I did that. So I dug all in. I probably spent 20 hours a week on social media for three years to get where I'm at. And I have noticed that I'm not the best at branding. I have more followers than almost anybody. And there's a lot bigger brands than mine. So I'm focusing on branding now, not just social media because they're different. But in general, you got to dig in. Now, tactically, depending on what you want to do, if you want a national audience, short form usually leads to long form. So podcasts are the best place to be. But that TikTok, Instagram reels is where I would start to get just get mass and to get that social proof. You get 50,000 followers on TikTok and 10,000 on Instagram, like they're social proof. People are going to see you and respect you as opposed to trying to do too many things and trying to just put out long form content. So tactically, I would focus on short form to long form. I would do as much of it yourself as you can before you hire it out. And then I would devote time to it. And if you can't do those three things, I don't know how to help you. You probably can still make it work, but I can't give you any advice. Dude, I love that. I think that's perfect. And the irony is because you we and I just you and I just met, so you probably don't know like anything about what I did. But so I was I quit my job in March 2022 and I was traveling full time around the world for eight months. And I had really bad anxiety about coming home. Because I thought, if I come home, nobody's going to care anymore <laughs> about okay. what I'm doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Semi-valid concern. I'm oh, like, I'm, sure. I'm building this brand. And then the irony was when I stopped that and I stopped, I was like, am I traveling for other people? That's not fun. I just want to travel for me. And the irony was that when I came back and I just started filming videos in my car in the gym parking lot talking about 
real estate, business buying, leaving corporate America, all that stuff that I was doing and did. Those are the ones that took off. And that's where my brand exploded. So I'm a couple steps behind you, but it's freaking awesome. I think we're at like 500. So we're a couple steps behind you. But yeah, dude, it's just awesome watching you and watching how you do things. And especially with the real estate and everything, man, it's, it's great. Glad we were able to meet, man. If people are wanting to learn more about you, where do they find you? Yeah, I'm pretty much on any social media platform you're on. But in general, the best place to contact me is Instagram. It's the best. It provides the most, it's the most versatile platform with stories and long form and reels. And then the messenger is by far the best than any other platform. Whatever platform you're on, if you're on there actively, follow me there at same faster freedom. If you're not on platform, then don't worry about creating an account and following me, but there and then go ahead and just shoot me a message on Instagram. We can chat further. And then I have a podcast, the faster freedom show. And then I will, I never plug this, but I do have a book. Own your freedom. It's about quitting your job and being financially free. It's $4.99 on Amazon. It comes with a free video course. I don't make any money on it, but it's uh, it's not the best book you'll ever read. It's not a Hermosi book, but it's worth $5. I, I promise it's worth $5. <laughs> Beautiful, brother. All right, guys, go get the book. Follow Sam. I already do. Man, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it, man. It's been Sam and Brian with the Action Academy Podcast. Signing off. <laughs>